listen. World is talking. World Talk Radio. What exactly is the proper way to care for Mary Lincoln's underwear? We'll find out from the Director of Collections at Fort Wayne's Lincoln Museum, Carolyn Texley, when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Are you a health-conscious, motivated mom who wants to work part-time from home? Do you want to enhance your family's income, get out of debt, experience financial freedom, create a flexible schedule, set your own hours? These benefits are available to top performers of this 34-year-old, solid, stable company. www.lisastafford.com Achieve personal wellness goals and make a difference in the lives of others. Receive coaching from the top achievers at this company. For more information, go online, lisastafford.com. How much time each day do you spend managing your personal or business calendar? 15 minutes, a half an hour, maybe more. Is the conference room available for next week's meeting? And how many people do you have to ask to find out? Have you ever misplaced or, worse yet, lost your day planner or handheld device? And what do you do about that missing information? Do you own or operate a salon or carpets cleaning business? How about a realty office or any one of a thousand other service-based organizations? Can your customers make their appointments even when your office is closed? If any of this sounds familiar, then Schedule Online is the solution for you. For more information, call toll-free 888-668-3355. That's 888-668-3355. Or visit us online at www.schedulonline.com. If you want to live a healthier lifestyle naturally, visit wellnow.ca, an all-Canadian quality resource. We provide the information and knowledge you need to make your best choices. Wellnow.ca gives you access to natural products and solutions, lifestyle services, and licensed health practitioners. Our free monthly newsletter delivers healthy living tips, articles, and expert opinions. Become empowered. Go to wellnow.ca today. Interested in advertising on any of our shows? Please click the Advertise link on the homepage or send an email to ads at worldtalkradio.com or you can click on the Sponsor This Show link on any of the show pages. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. Jerry Prokopovich. Today, talking with Carolyn Texley, Director of Collections at the Lincoln Museum in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Carolyn, Here's a question that you, of all my guests, ever might be able to answer. Could you hear the uh, fiddle tune that was being played at the uh, the, the after the, the first segment ended? Um, it's not the Ashokan farewell. That's what you're using for the... Um, no, that, that was at the, the introduction. Then uh-huh. after our first segment, there, uh-huh. there's a, a little tease explaining what's uh-huh. going to be in the second segment, and they play a fiddle tune in the background. Uh-huh. Is, that, is that you playing it? Uh, no, it's not, and it's, it's, I'm danged if I can remember which tune it is. All, oh. all fiddle tunes sound the same, as you uh-huh. know, being yourself an old-time music uh-huh. dancer and, and, uh-huh. and fan. Uh, but I hear it every week, and I uh-huh. think, I know that tune. I can play it, but I don't know the name of it. Oh, well, I can, uh, uh, yeah, I think I know where to look it up, so 
Well, yeah. when you listen to the show, uh, on, on, when you click on the archive uh, after it's put up on the, the website uh, a few hours after we're done live, mm -hmm. uh, listen to the introduction to the, the second and third segments and see if you can tell me what that tune is. Oh, okay. Uh, sure. And any other listener, if you can name that tune, <laughs> uh, you, you too can receive the same price <laughs> Carolyn will get, uh, which is my lasting thanks. <laughs> hey. One other uh, question. You mentioned in the first segment you worked at the Cranbrook Educational uh, Community in, in Michigan before coming to the museum. And you and I both started there uh, not too far apart. I started late 1993, you in early 94. Uh -huh. But one of the things I remember most was that the phone call, you said you got a call from the museum uh, inviting you to, uh, to join the staff. I received a call which began... Uh, with an old acquaintance of ours, Scott Bushnell, saying, uh, uh -huh. uh, my name is Scott Bushnell with the Lincoln Life Insurance Company. Uh -huh. And I was you know, one nanosecond away from hanging up on yet another uh -huh. irritating life insurance salesman <laughs> on the phone. Yeah. Uh, uh -huh. When he, he held my attention long enough to explain, no, it's, a, it's about a history museum. Did you have that experience? Did you, did you almost uh -huh. hang up on them? Well, I think since they called me afterward, I got called by um, um, a headhunter person, I, uh. I think. <laughs> um, I'm not sure exactly what her position was, but no, she, she started off with the, with the museum. I see. Um, then I didn't get the, the life insurance company part until further into that first paragraph. <laughs> uh, at which point, again, the, the, the red flags come up. <laughs> One yeah. begins to yeah. wonder. Now, yeah. the museum, let's talk about the museum itself. When when uh, you and I both started there in 1993-94, the museum was in its previous incarnation. I admit I went to Fort Wayne, and I've talked to other people who've come to Fort Wayne to see the museum, uh, people within the history field, uh, within the museum field, and they arrive with trepidation that this is going to be um, what they call the book-on-the-wall style museum, a sort uh -huh. of corporate lobby sponsored by a life insurance company, a few pictures mm -hmm. and graphics uh, and, and given the grandiose title of museum uh -huh. but it's quite a bit more than that uh, can what 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 will vis what do visitors see when they come to the Lincoln Museum uh, well they um, um, again we try to um, uh, give them a, um, a complete um, experience that it is it does hang to get the the actual permanent exhibit I think does work as um, as an entire story that that was the main point that it is a narrative that's illustrated with artifacts and uh, used as examples and um, we're still and I think we, we were able to use the artifacts in a very evocative way I think at least in a lot of the sections in the exhibit that you can have that emotional connection to these artifacts I know I had it when I first saw even the old exhibit when I um, first saw the um, the piece of towel with Lincoln's blood on it and I just um, um, yeah I found that very um, I even had kind of a physical reaction the hair on the back of my neck kind of stood up that it was um, uh, and I think that's an important thing about museums that I think we were um, we were really trying to capture when we did the when we worked on the permanent exhibit that that's one of the things that you can only do at museums that doesn't work for looking at pictures of things online that it's the actual proximity to the artifact that that emotional uh, direct experience with something um, that was directly connected to Lincoln um, that I think is very effective. And, and the museum does have some some remarkable artifacts. The uh, uh, the bloodstained towel from the night of Lincoln's assassination is certainly one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, my personal 
favorite is one that was acquired while you and I uh, were there, the Inkwell, from which Lincoln signed the final Emancipation Proclamation on January uh-huh. 1st, 1863. I did see, I was reading a review of the Constitution Center in Philadelphia, a very interesting new museum. Uh-huh. And the reviewer mentioned that the Inkwell, uh, from which the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, was in the Constitution Center. And my reaction is uh-huh. either, oh, they've stolen it, or uh, there are two of them, yeah. uh, or perhaps the museum lent it. Uh, is it still in Fort Wayne? Uh, no, it, it is on loan. For, it's actually on its way back now. It, it was on loan for that exhibit at the National Constitution Center. In Philadelphia. Right in Philadelphia. And one of the reasons for that was that the um, um, Lincoln Financial Group Foundation was one of the sponsors for that exhibit. And so we were actually, um, and the Lincoln Museum's name is on that exhibit as well, that we um, we helped with that uh, exhibit. There were several of our um, uh, artifacts in that display. The Emancipation Proclamation signed by Lincoln, the printed um, the Leland Boker printed edition of the Emancipation Proclamation signed by Lincoln, and our newest um, major acquisition, which is the um, 13th Amendment Senate Resolution, was signed by Lincoln on um, January 31st, 1865. So these, uh, <clears throat> you say the, the Inkwell is on its way back now to right. Fort Wayne. Right. Uh, well, that, that's certainly a, a worthy item for, for traveling and being seen. So if visitors who didn't Listeners, if you didn't see it in Philadelphia, it will be back at its home uh, in Indiana shortly. Well, that you talked about the the effect that these artifacts can have, the the uh, uh, being in proximity to history in this way really is something you can't duplicate elsewhere. Uh, right. Listeners are certainly welcome to go to the the www.thelincolnmuseum.org and look at pictures of what's in the exhibit. But if you want to be within a few feet of this inkwell that set millions uh, on the road to freedom or the towel that tried in vain to uh, stanch the flow of blood from Lincoln's fatal wound. I'm waxing very dramatic now. Uh, <laughs> you have to go to Fort Wayne to see these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are, does What's your favorite piece in the collection these days? Oh gee, I um, I tend to prefer the um, more unself-conscious things like the thing, a Lincoln's pocket knife, the, which actually sits in our permanent exhibit, sits right next to uh, the inkwell, and the thing, you know, the, and the inkwell is. is you know, is extremely evocative for me. But the the pocket knife has a different kind of deeper connection, I think. These these things that Lincoln would have used while he was doing other things, unselfconsciously, it's not a um, of any great moment that Lincoln didn't look at this and say, um, this knife will be enshrined one day. And he and he knew that the Emancipation Proclamation would be his greatest uh, moment. So he knew that that you know. Um, the pen that he used to sign that and the document itself were his legacy. And that was the most important, um, one of the most important things he would ever do. But this pocket knife, this unselfconscious little pocket knife, just uh, walking around with Lincoln, this everyday connection that makes him, um, I don't, there's, there's just something that makes him a little more uh, accessible, a little more real somehow. Uh, much like when we did the First Lady's Gowns exhibit, that those unselfconscious, <laughs> those um, 
making the invisible visible, that the first ladies that you don't hear much about, that was one of our more popular exhibits. And I think it's because of that, seeing things like, say, Thomas Jefferson's eyeglasses, which we don't have, <laughs> but having seen those, that's the kind of, that's the category of things, things that Lincoln handled um, just every day without any um, connection to greatness at the time. Uh, his, the wallet that he used to carry his legal papers around, I find that very, um, uh, every time I touch that, it's just extremely, um, 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 I don't know. I just, I just feel connected to Lincoln in some uh, in some way that it's a again now, it's, an, it's an emotional experience. You mentioned that when you get to touch the wallet, visitors of course don't get to do that. Right. But one of your major responsibilities as director of collections is caring for these items. So how often do you actually get to touch the wallet that Lincoln handled, and and how do you how do you handle an artifact like that? Uh, well, it depends on the material. For the um, the wallet is a um, um, is leather, which can get uh, very fragile. That it depends on a, you know a lot of factors. The, so I have to periodically check the artifacts to make sure that they're aging well and that they're um, they don't they're not in need of any further support or uh, conservation treatment, that kind of thing. Uh, basically, it's um, uh, just making sure that the artifacts are um, are happy again that's been on display for quite a while and we d and I do protect it from um, more light than it needs you have to lift up a little door in order to see it and that's uh, mostly to protect it from light and also to make it more engaging to make uh, the visitor's experience more active to be able to lift up to have to lift up this door to see the wallet so it's a very um um, individual thing. The the underwear that you mentioned earlier, uh, the yes. underwear doesn't actually need a lot of care. <laughs> it's very stable fabric. It's actually cotton fabric, so it doesn't need anything other than support. And basically, the do no harm principle works for uh, lots of our artifacts. We're very fortunate that um, there's never been any um, um, natural disaster, any um, fire flood, anything like that. So all of our artifacts are in wonderful uh, condition. Uh, they were purchased for the most part in good condition. So mostly it's just maintaining them in that condition, which is controlling the environment. So that's the main thing uh, that we need to do is monitor the environment and the light levels, um, that kind of thing. But I do, I do occasionally need to handle it to take it out. There is some dusting. We're, we can't eliminate all of the dust. So there's um, just some general maintenance. So periodically we need to handle it for that reason. Now, you, you mentioned the uh, the underwear of, of Mary Lincoln, I should specify for listeners just jumping oh, yeah. in at this point. <laughs> yeah, Mary's, uh, Mary's drawers. Uh -huh. uh, how does one exhibit tastefully an artifact like that? Well, I, I couldn't find it for, for many years. <laughs> when we did the uh, 75th anniversary exhibit in 2003, we finally found a context um, that I had always thought that, well, as soon as we can get you know another Mary dress, which for all of her shopping, um, uh, very few of them actually exist. I think the provenance has just been lost, and there are actually very few Mary dresses in the world <laughs> that we know about. Um, so we didn't have that. We have not been able to add one of those to our collection. I thought, well, that would be, you know, the obvious thing to do is display it with other clothes. You don't want to just put her underwear out there. It just seems a little... Yeah, it seems crude, doesn't it? It's a little odd. Yeah. Um, but we did find... Um, 
way we displayed it in the 75th anniversary exhibit is we did it as though she were traveling. We found an old trunk from the period and just had kind of part of the, um, managed to display the um, under things coming out of the um, out of the trunk. And that seemed to work pretty well, that I was comfortable with that. It didn't go to the bad place. Uh, and it was something that I thought we should um, find a way to exhibit for that um, again, our 75th anniversary, to show uh, some of these pieces. Before then, it, that was the first time they'd been seen by the public. Uh, before then, it was just at the end of docent training for our volunteers who lead tours at the museum. Uh, at the end of their training session, they were given a, um, they're always given a tour of the vault, and I would pull out Mary's underwear, and that was the big special. It was a highlight. <laughs> I can speak as the, the person who did the who led the training. They, yeah. they looked forward to that, and they uh, they were quite fascinated. Right. Well, some of some of the eclat is gone now that they have been on uh, uh, have been on exhibit for the public. But um, uh, but that was the I figured it was appropriate for the 75th anniversary to do that. But again, it was it was context, and that's and that's true with any artifact. That finding context for it, and we don't want to collect any artifact that we never plan on exhibiting. So I was really uh, looking for it, and that was another thing I had offered for loan that um, any um, uh, say Springfield, which does have a um, uh, Mary Lincoln's uh, wedding dress or. Uh, half of her wedding dress, I believe, at least. Um, and I had, I had told them, well, we have this, you know, uh, Mary Lincoln underwear. If you're ever displaying that and want to include more of it, that's another reason to do um, loans between institutions, between museums, so that we can display things together and kind of um, um, increase geometrically the importance of the artifact by including them with other things that um, uh, that naturally go with them. Uh, that's one thing about collecting Lincoln and being a Lincoln institution. You know that Lincoln artifacts are always going to be spread out. They're never going to be in one institution ever, that they're too valuable, there's too much connection for um, um, any institution to want to give up their Lincoln artifacts, and nobody thinks that they should. So that's why we do a lot of uh, loaning between institutions, or try to, so that we can um, 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 fulfill our public mandate, that we have a, a public trust, basically, that we're caring for these artifacts, including Mary's underwear, <laughs> so that um, 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 because Lincoln belongs to everybody, and I try to include this as much as I can in other institutions planning and trying to coordinate exhibits on Lincoln, uh, just so we can be part of other exhibits. Now, one of the responsibilities that goes with that trust is, is obviously preserving the artifacts for future generations. And you talk a little bit about the things you do to uh, keep uh, keep things in, in proper environments in terms of temperature and humidity and so on. You mentioned the vault, uh, which I've, I've been in the vault there. Uh, visitors, uh, listeners, you're not going to get to go in the vault. Uh, but it's quite an interesting room it's it's a uh, big room not a, a little bank vault and it contains all kinds of uh, arrangements to to keep materials safe when the vault was being constructed when the architects and museum designers were working on it i recall you had to battle with them to get the kinds of things you needed in the vault uh, the proper ceiling for instance uh, right. That they, um, um, the architects, even though they had done um, libraries before, they just didn't quite understand that the um, the vault needed to be um, 
uh, the ceiling is a good example. They wanted to put a drop ceiling in so it would look nicer. There are some um, pipes that run through there, the uh, sprinkler system, and they wanted to cover all that up and make it nice. But when you do that, if there's a leak from above, you don't see it until it's too late. You start. Everybody's seen that in buildings where you see that the suspended ceiling tile has got a little brown stain on it from water dripping through, and that's too late to find out that there's a that there's a water leak somewhere. It's uh, happening in my house right now. I can hear leak on the drywall oh. ceiling in the kitchen, and I can't get to it. Ooh. And I know there's trouble there, <laughs> but there's nothing I can do till it falls yeah. in. Yeah. So, yeah, so you, you did not want a suspended ceiling there. You right. wanted to be able to see all the way through, even uh -huh. though it's not particularly visually the best. Right, and I wanted the, um, um, uh, the all, all of the surfaces to be, oh, they wanted to put carpet in there too. And I said, no, carpet is um, just collects dust. I wanted, uh, we ended up with a, I needed an inert surface. It couldn't be uh, chemically active. I didn't want anything that would off-gas, like vinyl flooring. And it was actually really difficult to find uh, any kind of flooring that didn't have um, uh, anything in it that would off-gas because, again, this is permanent storage for these artifacts that aren't on display, and these poor things don't have any way to um, um, to uh, protect themselves. We as living beings, we can, we can our, our cells can repair themselves, <laughs> and that's not true with something like a leather wallet or uh, Mary's underwear. So the idea is to keep a neutral environment, and so what I chose instead was a, um, an epoxy paint, a two-part epoxy paint that would off-gas completely. That I did have to wait a good month after the painting was complete so that everything was off-gassed before the collection was um, installed in the vault. So that was a, a, a battle won. Uh, yeah, and it, it just took a couple of no reallys. Um, they uh, wanted to make, um, I did have to insist on concrete block walls around the vault. They wanted to just do drywall, which is really not safe because, uh, from a security standpoint because you could just kind of punch through any kind of drywall. And so I had to insist on concrete block, which took several um, I remember that taking two or three tries. Uh, I'd look at the plans and say, well, where does it say that this is a concrete block wall? And they would say, well, it, it doesn't because drywall looks nicer. And I said, well, no. <laughs> it won't look nicer when uh, you've got a, a man-sized hole in it from the thieves yeah. who've broken in at night and right. walked so, into the vault. Yeah. So, we, so I kept trying to call it the vault. And Oh, and then they didn't understand that since it was only going to have stuff in it, it doesn't need to be climate controlled because there won't be people in it. And I said, well, no. It can just get cold and hot all of Yeah, well, people can put on sweaters, and I can't really do that for um, um, silk campaign ribbons and, yeah. So um, it was just an educational process, and they were very, um, um, they were very responsive. I just had to be you know, persistent about it and check the plans very carefully every time we got a new version of the plans. Well, I think most visitors to museums never consider the... Uh the effort that goes into these kinds of preservation uh, considerations, what has to be done to keep the items safe before they can go on display. Yes, and but, if it's been done well, it's, it, it should be invisible, that you shouldn't, you shouldn't be noticing. <laughs> so. It should be all, all behind the scenes. Yeah. Well, we will look further behind the scenes at the Lincoln Museum in just a minute. We're going to take another break here on Civil War Talk Radio. We'll be back with our guest, Carolyn Texley, in just a moment.